there, and welcome once again to the Great Stories Podcast. You have found it. I am Ryan Weber, your host for the show. Uh, what this is, is a podcast designed to invite you into uh, the lives of real people who call themselves followers of Christ. Uh, these stories are, sometimes they're just entertaining, they're silly, they can get deep, they're heavy-duty testimony type things. Some people cry. Uh, but the whole point of this is that you get to just peek uh, for a couple hours into the lives of real people who have real stories about following a real God. Uh, these are unscripted, unrehearsed, unedited, and uh, uninterrupted. So these are as real as it gets. And uh, it's a privilege to do these, and I'm so glad you're listening. Uh, you can follow the show on Facebook at The Great Stories Podcast on Facebook. Uh, same name on Instagram. Uh, if you would like to support the show, you can do so on Patreon.com. Uh, there's an account there. You can throw some bucks that way. Everything's appreciated. There's a little cost that comes into these kind of things, and uh, anything is super helpful. Uh, I'm just kind of celebrating right now that the uh, the Great Stories podcast just popped over about 1,300 total downloads, uh, which is crazy to think about that that many people are listening uh, to this show, and I found it... Something they want to keep doing. That's so cool. And I don't know if there's uh, some kind of metrics behind this. I'm not an expert in podcasting. I just talk. But uh, I think it's opened up a couple avenues with other platforms uh, recently. So uh, we're also putting these up on iHeartRadio now, on the Google Play Music Store. Uh, we're also on YouTube, which is, a, you know, it's a video site, but apparently you can just upload audio. So it's a blank video, but you get the audio for the show also. Uh, and where else is it? Spotify also just picked it up. So it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited for those platforms because that just gets, it gets the opportunity for more people to hear uh, these great stories. And I say this all the time, and you can't say it often enough, I don't think that really what people talk about on this show and what's already been talked about by other guests is it, this is the most important thing anyone has to say is that who is Jesus? What does it mean? And to invite people into our lives uh, to just see God through our, our eyes and through our lives I think is a, is a huge tool that God uses to reach those who are lost who need to hear that message. I always say for every person who sits across from me in my living room here there's a thousand other ones just like them who need to hear the same thing that they are going through. Uh, so, again, other ways to support the show, of course, uh, share these episodes, get the word out, uh, put it up on your Facebook, I don't know, send a link out. If, if we talk to someone that reminds you of someone else, that's a great opportunity. Like, hey, I heard this interview, I thought of you. Check it out, that kind of thing. I'm not doing this so that my name can be great. Uh, I'm doing this so Christ's name can be great. I want that message to get out, so let's do it. Uh, so today, this is a, a little bit of an odd episode. Uh, I had a super busy uh, month or so, and on, on top of that, my voice was gone for about three or four weeks. I don't know why that happens. Every January, my, my voice just disappears. And uh, on top of that, I had a guest that I was going to have on. Scheduling didn't work out, and uh, it just didn't happen. So we don't have a guest on the show today, but that's okay. Something they tell me in podcasting is that one of the keys to it is to put out consistent, uh, frequent content. And rather than just tell you, hey, whatever, like nothing this week, we'll just wait for the next one. 
I don't think so. I think there's plenty that we could talk about here uh, if I just fly solo for a while. It, it won't be quite as long <laughs> as the normal format because I don't think anybody wants to sit there and listen to me talk for three hours. Uh, but I got a couple things I'm going to go through today that I think will be worth listening to. So with that, uh, welcome to my living room. The, the dog is sitting right here. I got a nice glass of burgundy in my hand and we're going to have a couple chats about some important things. So uh, here we go. There's the bumper music. Just wanted a little interruption there. <laughs> so what I'm going to do uh, is there's there's basically two areas that I want to get into. The first one, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about truck driving. Uh, I, it's just a fascinating area for a lot of people when I tell them some stories about that. It's, it's a different thing to drive a, a semi-truck in the Bay Area. And it's such a contrast to my, my other job. I work as a children's minister. So I... I, I write curriculum and I teach Sunday school for first through fifth graders. Uh, so it's a heck of a contrast between uh, trucking and youth ministry. And then uh, for the second portion, I'm going to actually go back through and just talk about the weekend that I had last week. Uh, I went up to Tahoe with a group of, I think there was 78 high schoolers. And I know a lot of you just went, oh, <laughs> but I didn't. I was like, yeah, let's go. And it was a blast. So I'm, I'm just going to share some of what, what went down in that and just some of the highlights and lowlights and uh, just what, what a crazy weekend. Uh, so first of all, let's talk about trucking. So I I work right now for a company called Sun State Equipment, and I just hit my six-year mark working for them. And it's been a crazy experience to be a trucker. So my my original intent for learning to drive trucks was as a resume builder to be a firefighter. And I figured that if if I could drive, you know, a, a full blown semi truck, then you know, a fire engine should be super simple. So I got the truck driving license, and then you know, I haven't given my full testimony on the show yet, and I'm not going to do it tonight. But it, but. Uh, you know, the firefighting became uh, an impossibility because of a back injury that I picked up. And I've talked about that a little bit here and there. Uh, but so after, you know, the injury, you know, the firefighting wasn't an option, but I had this trucking license. So I started driving trucks to make money. And one of the my favorite areas of trucking is machinery hauling. And I've done a couple different kinds. I drove a dump truck for a while and I drove... Uh, freight, you know, all around the Bay Area here in California. But I, I kind of settled into machinery hauling because I, I just feel like it's the most fun possible sort of trucking. It's just really neat because you, you you get the the truck driving aspect of it and you're not just restricted to, you know, normal like loaning docks and industrial areas. I think with machinery hauling, it, it's interesting because people build things that require machinery in the, the craziest places. And I get to go to the neatest spots just all over the Bay Area. I found some crazy just back roads and, and just weird things that you would never know are there unless, you know, you're, you have a job like mine and it just takes you there. Uh, one example is the this whole Tesla factory in Fremont. Uh, it's, you know, 
it's pretty restricted. Like you can't just go in there and walk around and see the, the factory floor and the robots working on stuff and all that. Not many people really get to see all that. I guess they do tours, but they're, you know, they're guided and, you know, you can't just wander around <laughs> wherever you want to go. But if anybody knows anything about the Tesla plant is that they're constantly constructing things. So there's just machinery going in and out of there all the time. And I'm there so often that the people at the back gate, they know us and they just let you drive right in and they just wave at you. They don't even check your ID, whatever. You could be anybody. I don't know. I'm here to steal your secrets, but <laughs> they, uh, they just let us drive in there. And, uh, you know, sometimes this, it, this can be frustrating, but it's also kind of fun because they'll send me in there to pick up a machine and all they'll tell me is it's at Tesla. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you have any idea how huge Tesla is? It's basically a whole city. Where am I going to find this? I don't know. Call a customer. Well, customers never answer the phone. And so there's been there's been several times when I just have to park the truck uh, and start walking. <laughs> and I spend an hour and a half, two hours just walking all over that plant. And, and I'm walking through areas where there's obviously, like, you're not supposed to be here. Like, you could just tell. <laughs> But nobody cares. I'm wearing my uh, my reflective vest, and uh, I got a hard hat on, and I'm carrying a clipboard. So <laughs> that must mean I'm supposed to be there. Oh, and I got a bunch of keys too. So that means you're important if you got keys to everything. Uh, and that's just one of the spots I've gotten to go. But there's crazy thing. Just I think going up into San Francisco uh, is one of the most interesting spots uh, that I go to trucking because it's just unimaginably dense up there and and just driving a regular car in San Francisco can be a maddening experience Uh, but you know take your car multiply it by 10 you know cruise around there with a 80,000 pound (laughs) gross vehicle weight and you know part of me loves it because it's hard and it's dangerous and it's tight you know there's the, there's a caveman in me a, a, a viking you know that wants to conquer hard things but the other part of me is just terrified because it, you make one little mistake and you're guaranteed you're gonna at a minimum you're gonna do big property damage or run something over or, you know cable car lines and i'm moving machinery that's taller than them and it's like ugh, super nerve-wracking and uh but the, there's construction going on there and you got to get there and you got to do it I'm really thankful for the times when I make a delivery up there and it's right next to the freeway. I just get off, drop it, get back on. It's like a hit and run. It's beautiful. Uh, but one of the one of the stories I wanted to tell about trucking was at actually a, a job that I had before I worked for Sunstate Equipment. It was for a company in Newark called All American Rentals. And I, I want to make sure I say that in case any of you uh, Sunstate coworkers of mine are... <laughs> Are listening this is pre-sun state so please don't tell the bosses about this story because they don't know uh but you're gonna know so i was working for all american rentals and i was i was brand new machinery hauler i'd driven a little dump truck before it was nothing like a full-blown semi so this was the first time that i'd really been out in an 18 wheeler and i was moving heavy machines and uh, I would start and end in uh, Newark every day because that's where our yard was. But, you know, it, in a given day, you can go, you know, as far as you can drive one direction and still make it back, you know, by nightfall, right? And I had this delivery that was in uh, Napa, 
and it was to some winery, one of these old building restoration projects where they they like dig around this historic landmark and they jack the thing up. And I guess they, they were going to move this whole building somewhere. It's really weird, but it takes machinery to do that. And what I had was uh, a, a big forklift and uh, a couple of real heavy duty generators, big ones, you know, the, the generators that they're like probably 12 feet long, maybe eight feet tall, uh, four feet wide you know, they got wheels under them. They're, they're meant to be towed behind like a, a truck, you know, but I, so the truck that I had, I actually used the forklift and I put them on the truck and then drove the forklift on behind those. And this is a pretty big forklift. This is a, a forklift with a capacity to lift about 20,000 pounds. So this is a heavy duty deal. And, uh, so I was cruising out there. It's a long drive. Napa's a good, you know, it's a good drive for a truck from free, uh, uh, Newark. It took me, you know, a couple hours to get where I was going to go. It was a gorgeous day, uh, but it had rained, I guess, for the previous, like, two or three days. So you know how those days are. It's just, you know, the air is clear. It smells good. You know, all the funk is out of the air. You know, everything looks nice, and the the sky is blue. It's beautiful. So I was cruising out there, and uh, I was getting off you know, pretty off the beaten path because there's, there's a lot of vineyards up there and there's a lot of like country roads and just kind of backstreet type of thing. So we, I got off the highway. I think, think, gosh, I think it was, oh boy, I forget which highway it was. I think it was like highway 12. Is that even a thing? I don't know. It was out there. It was in Napa. Okay. And so you get off the highway and, you know, there's bigger roads out into the neighborhoods and the vineyards and then, you know, okay, turn left and, a little bit smaller road, and then you turn again onto basically what is a, a one-lane road. It's paved, you know, but it's basically just a glorified driveway. And I'm driving on this thing for a couple of miles, and I, I'm cruising along, and I'm looking for this address. And the tricky things with addresses, a lot of times out in, in construction sites and all that, is like the the, the satellite maps don't really know exactly where things are a lot of times because they're not they haven't been there long enough or you know it's still a construction project so a lot of times the maps aren't updated and so you're just relying on landmarks or whatever the customer tells you to look out for it anyway i i missed the the turn into the driveway that i was supposed to go in which isn't super my fault because it wasn't clearly marked and there was like one like a piece of plywood with like a small address spray painted onto it (laughs) which i couldn't see until I came back from the other way. So I, I passed the thing, and I way passed it. I was like half mile, maybe a mile past it. And I came to this this big gate, like a, a like a gated community. And I, I was thinking, like, something's wrong. Like, this is private property. Like, this is not what I'm looking for. Something is up here. And I, I kind of... I ended up putting it together, just looking at the maps and all that, that I had... At some point, I had passed... The thing you know that I was looking for, I was like, crud. And if you know anything about trucks, it's not like you can just you know do a little three point turnaround. Like you're 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 long. <laughs> you can't turn around everywhere. That's a. And I've been in a lot of spots like that where you're just on this narrow road and you're driving. You're like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna get out of here because I can't turn around and I'm not gonna back up for ten miles. And this was one of those cases and. So I, I just kept going forward 
And uh, eventually, I I came across like sort of a T in the road, but it was basically somebody's private driveway. But it was it was wide. It was it was you know it had like gravel down the center and and dirt on the sides. And and I thought that this looked you know this looks wide enough for me to what I'll do is I'll I'll back in to the driveway as far as I can, and then I'll I'll turn left. You know, so the driveway's on my right, so I'll back up to the right, and then when I'm in the driveway, I'll just come out back out of the driveway, forward, and, uh, you know, make a left back the way that I came. And so, so here's here's how you do it. You, If you're in a truck, you, you pass the thing that you want to back into, so the driveway's on my right, and I, I drive past it, and then I start backing up, and I, I start... You know, the, the back end of the truck starts going out to the right, and it goes up into the driveway, and it's looking good. And, uh, you know, it was going a little bit wider than I wanted, so the, the trailer was actually, you know, going off the rocks a little bit on, on the, the far side there, but that's okay, whatever. So I kept going back, kept going back, kept going back. And then I started going a little bit slower. And this is, see, this is where experience comes into play, because what I didn't realize... What I now realize, and I think what I would know now, is that the trailer was actually sinking into the mud that were on the sides of this fella's uh, driveway to his property. As soon as it got off the rocks, it was real squishy. Oh, and, and the part I didn't say, I had actually gotten out of the truck ahead of time, and I walked over there, and I like walked around on the gravel and, and you know, tried the dirt and, and just to see... Like, is this going to support a truck? And, and, you know, it's foolish to do that because I, you know, I'm a heavy guy. <laughs> you know, I'm in the high 200s. Uh, but the truck I'm driving is like 65,000 pounds. It's, it, it puts a different kind of stress on the ground. So it can feel firm to me, but this truck is going to go right into it. And that's exactly what happened. But I didn't, I didn't pick up on it. So I kept going. And it wasn't long before the truck just stopped moving. And, and this is when I'm, I'm fully in this guy's driveway now. I'm backed into the driveway. The street, you know, that I was on is in front of me. And I'm now looking, like, basically across the road, you know, perpendicular to the street. And I'm, I'm not moving anymore. <laughs> so, clearly, something has happened. And uh, so I, I'm realizing now that uh, the, the truck is stuck in the mud. But I'm thinking, oh, it must not be that bad. So I do, I do this trick where you can actually, when, when you look at a normal semi, there's the front wheels that turn, there's the second axle, and then there's a third one. And that's basically the front half of the truck. Well, only the second axle actually is what we call the drive axle. So those wheels are the things that are trying to pull you. But we have a little switch where you can engage the other set too. So now you have all eight of the tractor wheels pulling. And so I flip that switch. Uh, that's the first thing you do. And nothing happens. The wheels are just, it, they're just spinning like crazy. And so I'm like, oh gosh. So I, I get out of the truck and I'm, you know, I'm standing next to it now and I'm looking down the driver's side and I look back in the the, the trailer is totally sunk into the mud, like down to the, almost to the underside of the, the trailer. Like just the wheels are half buried. Like this thing is, is in there, like quicksand is gone. And the front half of the truck isn't quite as bad, but it, it's still pretty bad. The, you know, the, the, the trailer now is acting 
like a like a big boat anchor. <laughs> and so the the front half of the truck just can't get enough traction to pull it out. So I'm like, oh gosh, you know, what am I going to do? Um, oh wait, okay, hang on. I, gosh, I've totally set that up wrong. I, I just realized I, in, in my head, I flipped this thing around. I was, I was nose in to the driveway. That was the plan. Okay. See, this is a good thing I'm telling the story because now I can remember it. So I was going to drive into the driveway, back out of it, and then go down the road. So at this point, right. Gosh, what a dork. I, so, okay. This is like, okay, in my defense, this is like 15 years ago, okay? So I was, I was nosed into the driveway. The, the front wheels of the truck were sunk in. The back wheels of the trailer were also sunk in. And all eight of the drive wheels are, are spinning like this. So I'm nosed into the driveway. The back of the trailer is pointing back across the street. Now I'm standing outside of the truck, very frustrated and confused, trying to figure out what to do. So my uh, my inner problem solver starts to take uh, effect at this point, and I'm trying to figure out like, okay, how <laughs> I'm in the middle of Napa, how do you get a truck <laughs> like this out of the mud? Like, what do you do? So I start looking around, and I'm figuring, okay, I'm just gonna grab whatever I can find, you know, sticks, uh, rocks, and whatever. I'll start shoving stuff under the tires and see if like just I can get some traction on whatever that is. So I start looking around. I grab rocks that I can find. I grabbed a couple of boards and I would shove them under the tires and then jump back in the truck and, and try to start driving it, you know, trying to back out of the spot that I was in. And it just, it was not happening. Nothing was moving. And I, I did, <laughs> I did the, the first very dumb thing. If that's not dumb enough, I, I leave the truck in gear so that the all eight of the drive wheels are are now, you know, spinning freely in reverse, and I I got out of the truck while while the back wheels are spinning. Gosh, why did I do this? Ah. Um, and and at that point, so then I start trying to shove things under the tires, you know, while I'm standing outside of the truck, wheels are spinning. And I'm putting things under the wheels, trying to get the truck to move. I guess I figured if it worked, that it wouldn't be going really fast because it's only in first gear. And trucks only go like one mile an hour in first gear. And I would just jump into it really fast. I don't know. I, I That's probably crazy to admit that I even did that. That's so stupid. But I did that. Luckily, or unluckily, the truck did not budge. Didn't move an inch. And everything I would put under the tires, it would just spit out the other side. It was like a like a you know, a softball pitching machine. <laughs> it was crazy. So uh, I'm looking, okay, what is like DEFCON level two to get this truck out of the mud? And, I, and I'm looking at the clock now, I'm late to the delivery, and I'm just like, oh gosh, like this is getting worse. I need to get out of here, like right now. And at that point. Uh, the property owner comes cruising down the road and he he pulls up and he's looking at me. He's looking at the truck. <laughs> he takes out his camera and he opens his mouth and he starts talking to me like, what are you doing? You're ruining my driveway. You're stuck in my mud. Someone's got to come back here and fix these tire ruts down the side. He's taking pictures of the truck, which had a big phone number on the side of it. He says, I'm going to call your boss. Like, what are you doing out here? Like, he was just, he was very, you know, okay, understandably so. There's an 80 foot long truck. 
stuck in the mud in this guy, <laughs> basically in this guy's front yard. Uh, and so he takes the phone number down and, and, you know, I, I try to be as cordial as possible and apologetic because I, I am under no uh, illusion that this is okay. <laughs> I agree with you, sir. This is dumb. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I shouldn't even be here. I passed the thing. I was trying to like turn around, but it didn't work. He didn't, he didn't want to hear it anyway. So there's, you know, there's the interaction number one. And okay. So now he drives off and I'm standing. I'm like, Oh gosh, I need to get out of here now. Like, Lord, please <laughs> let me get out of here. And so I'm, I'm looking at the truck and I'm thinking, okay, this truck is so heavy that it's sinking into the mud. I'm not going to get it out of here. So I got to lighten this thing up. So I, the, the back of the truck kind of converts into a ramp. So I put the ramp down and I unload the machinery from the truck, which is a process. This takes like 20 or 30 minutes to empty this truck and put the tail back up. So now, but now I'm thinking like, okay, now this truck is going to be probably maybe 25,000 pounds lighter with all this machinery off of the truck. So maybe it'll move now. And so, okay. So I jump back in the cab. I put the truck in reverse and I'm trying to back into the street again. And it just, it would not move. All all eight cab wheels are just spinning in the mud and the, the trailer is just sitting there. It's not moving. Like, this is just not happening. So there's DEFCON level two. No effect. So I'm thinking, okay, what else do I got? <laughs> like, there's got to be something I can do. So I'm thinking, well, hey, wait a second. I've got this giant forklift right here. Uh, why don't I try to like move the truck with that? Okay. So I, I grab some chains and I, I bring the forklift around and, and I, I basically back the forklift up right to the back end of the trailer so that the forklift now is facing toward the street that I came from. And I back up to the trailer and I took a chain and I go from the back end of the forklift to the very back of the trailer. And now I'm going to try to pull the truck out backwards with it. And so I put the truck in neutral, not in, in drive <laughs> or reverse, and I start pulling on the thing, and I, and I give it a tug, and that didn't work. So there's another redneck solution to the problem is where if you can't just pull it out right, you back up a little bit, let the, let the chain kind of slack, and then you gas it, and you just shock the heck out of it and try to yank it out that way. And I did that, just bang, 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 did not move, nothing. So now I'm thinking, okay, what if, now this, this is full blown idiot move right here. So I, I go to the truck, I put it in reverse and I, I let the clutch out and the, okay, so now the wheels are spinning. I once again, get out of the truck and I walk, walk to the back of the truck now and I get in the forklift. <laughs> so the, the truck is in gear, the wheels are spinning. And I am 50 feet away from the steering wheel, basically, sitting in this forklift. And I'm going to try to pull the truck backwards, basically towards myself. And this, I don't know what I was thinking, because what if it worked? Now I'm sitting in a forklift behind a truck that's in gear, that's coming toward me, and... I, I don't know what would have happened. It, it's unbelievable. So thank God 
I tried this and I pulled and I pulled and I pulled and it didn't move. I'm so lucky it didn't move because <laughs> this could have been so much worse. But now I'm like, gosh, what am I going to do? Like, I, I can't, like this forklift is strong and it's not moving this truck. So I look at the truck and I, I get turn my little, little idea factory on. And uh, so these trucks, they have a very powerful winch mounted to the trailer and what the winch is designed to do is to pull machinery that's broken onto the trailer so you you park the machine or you try to get the machine right behind the truck you hook this big cable up to it and it'll actually drag you know most machinery onto the trailer it's really strong so i'm thinking huh okay well why why can't i use that same winch to actually pull the whole truck backwards instead of pulling a machine onto it seems reasonable to me so i i release the winch and and i pull the cable out as far as it'll go and but the thing is that i have to pull the truck backwards but there's you know there's just a street behind me so there's nothing i can hook the cable onto so i i see a tree that's back across the street and uh i decide hey you know what? I got a bunch of chain. Like I'm going to link all these chains together, hook it to the winch cable, and I'll wrap the chain around that tree that's like 70, 80 feet behind the truck, and I'll try to winch the truck backwards. That'll be great. <laughs> and uh, so I string this whole thing up, and <laughs> now this has turned into some kind of mad science project is what it is. So, so I've got the truck, and, and I got the chains... I had to climb like through this barbed wire fence and wrap it around this tree. And then now I'm standing in the street and I'm like, all right, here we go. So I get the little winch remote and I start, I start tightening the winch up, tighten it up, tighten it up, tighten it up. And I see things like start to get strained. And you hear that like when, when metals under, under pressure, you hear it like, like making that noise. And all of a sudden, Boing! The one of the chains breaks, <laughs> and it goes flipping around that tree, all tangled up in this barbed wire fence. And I'm like, oh my gosh! So I was like, okay, that that didn't quite work. I broke the <laughs> broke the chain instead of pulling the truck backwards. Luckily, this time I didn't decide to try the whole like leave it in gear thing. I think by then I'd thought better of it. I wish I'd thought of that before. So then, now uh, I, I get another chain, and I'm thinking, how on earth am I going to get this truck out of here? Like, that winch is so strong. How is it not pulling the truck out? So I'm thinking, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run the run the winch cable back around that tree. I'll get a new chain. And then I'm going to get the forklift, and I'm going to pull the truck with the forklift while I'm using the uh, the winch cable. That's what I'm going to do. And so I, I string it up again. And I, I get it nice and tight. And I, I got it to the point a little bit before where it snapped last time. So I'm trying to, you know, kind of make sure that uh, it doesn't just break again. So I get it. I get it tight. And then I'm, uh, I was walking back over to where I parked the forklift. Just, you know, not, not too far away. And keep in mind now, if, if you're visualizing this scenario in your head, the truck is parked, 
nose in, so forward into the driveway. The back of the truck is facing the street, and this, this winch cable is running across the street to a tree. And if you know, if you can visualize this, the, the winch cable is not very low on the vehicle. If you're standing next to the truck, the winch is probably at about, it's my shoulder level, it's probably five feet, maybe, maybe about that off the ground. And I ran the cable as level as I could. So <laughs> if you're putting this together, there's a winch cable, which is maybe about as thick as your finger. And it's running at five feet off the ground across a street. <laughs> no cones, no warning, no flashing lights, no one directing traffic. Nobody to tell the Jeep Grand Cherokee that's driving down the street that there is a cable <laughs> across the street. And as I'm walking towards the forklift, and I'm not thinking about it. I, I hear I hear the car coming down the road. And it suddenly it hits me. And I'm like, wait a second. They're, they're not going to see that cable. They're not going to know what's going on. <gasps> so I turn around and I start running back towards the truck, waving my arms in the air, trying to get the driver's attention. And just screaming at him, stop, 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 waving my hands. And he's not even slowing down. And this guy, probably maybe at about maybe 25, maybe 30 miles an hour, he runs into this cable. And it it looked like those videos you see of like an F-18 when they land on an aircraft carrier and that, that tail hook hooks the cable and it like rah, it slows them down super fast. It was exactly that. He hit that cable. The cable did not snap, but his windshield did. And it got caught basically at the roof line. And it acted like that. Like it just stopped him dead in his tracks. Bam! And it like sprung. Like it's, it, he went, <laughs> he hit the cable and it, it sprung him backwards. Like, it actually threw the, the whole SUV, like, a few feet backwards. And at that point, all I could do, I just, I grabbed my face. And I I crouched down. Just, I didn't even want to see it. I was just like, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. I, did, I can't believe that just happened. Oh, gosh. And, man, I... I could not believe it. I, I walked over there. I, I let the, you know, I, I let the cable down and I just walked over to the guy. I was just mortified. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was just, luckily he wasn't hurt. Like it didn't take his head off. I, I couldn't imagine. Oh my gosh. If, if it was like a motorcycle or something like that, it would have killed somebody. Luckily, he was fine. He was a little frazzled. Obviously, it was a shock to him, and no one's expecting that to happen. He was also a little upset, understandably so. I was also upset with me, and uh, we we exchanged information. We took pictures of everything. You know, we had to stay there for a little while, and you know, gave him my boss's phone number. <laughs> so now this is the second person who's going to be calling my boss later, and. Uh, 
telling him about this. And uh, after a little while, you know, he ended up going on his way. And I was just like, I was on the edge of tears right now. Because this is, like, I'm a new truck driver, man. And um, I can't believe what's happening. Uh, And so I'm still here now with, you know, the two generators with this forklift. With a truck that's still stuck in the mud. And a winch cable that's across the road that had just finished almost decapitating somebody. (laughs) But I I still had to get out of there. I wasn't done yet. And uh, I I continued on with the plan. So I I restrung the winch cable. Uh, And you know what, darn it, I don't... (laughs) I don't think I put a cone out again after that. This is not my my brightest moment, okay? For all authenticity here on the Great Stories podcast, this is not the best that I've got to offer. I'm just, (laughs) I don't even know why I'm telling everybody this. It doesn't make me look good, but we've already started, so let's finish it. Um, So I I restring the winch cable back up, and uh, I get in the forklift, and I put the chain on the forklift, and so I've got the remote, and I've got the forklift, I've got everything, and I do the winch and the forklift at the same time. And thank you, Lord, that truck started to move, and I, I drug it as far as I could. <laughs> and uh, fully out of the mud. But even when it was out of the mud, I noticed, it, gosh, this is really, like, it should be rolling easier, right? It's in neutral. Anyway, so finally I get the truck back on there. And I put the tail down. I put the the generators back on there. I chain those down. I put the forklift back on there. I chain that down. I put the tail up. So now this is like two and a half hours later. Finally, now the truck is free of the mud. I'm back on the street. But here's here's the thing that that I think is the the worst part of this whole thing, and it, which I can't believe happened. But there's a bad habit that a lot of truckers get into. And that is there's there's two sets of brakes. There's a, a set of brakes for the front half of the truck, and there's a set of brakes for the back half of the truck. And what a lot of truckers will do is, just out of laziness or something like that, you'll just pull the brakes for the trailer part of the truck and basically kind of use that as a, as a quasi-parking brake. They tell you not to do that, but I'm pretty sure, you know, anyone who drives a truck could say, like, yeah, sometimes you just you pull one or the other, right? And, uh... So the first time that I got out of the truck, I actually did that. And I pulled the brakes for the trailer part. And I never disengaged them for that entire story. So while all the way from the beginning, while I'm trying to shove things under the tires, while I'm leaving it in drive and getting out of the truck, the first time I tried to pull it with the, uh, with the forklift, the first time I tried to winch it backwards... For that whole time, the this entire gigantic steel trailer, which on its own weighs, you know, something like 15, 17,000 pounds, this thing, this thing is sitting there like a boat anchor. I, I probably wouldn't have been able to move it, even on dry ground. Forget the mud. The mud was a non-factor. The, the entire time, I was fighting against the braking system of the truck itself. And uh, it would have worked right away, honestly, if I hadn't done that. And... Uh, well, lessons learned. So I, I load the truck back up and I finally get to where I'm supposed to be going, which is only a mile away from where all this happened. 
and uh, empty empty the loads very carefully, and then then I call my boss, <laughs> and uh, fellow's name was Mike. Um, gosh, I forget his last name. Mike from All American Rentals. If somebody, gosh, if you listen to this, man, uh, you have to remember this story, at least parts of it, because this is ridiculous. So Mike says to me, so I, so I call him up and, uh, I told him, I said, Mike, man, um, I think you're going to have to fire me. (laughs) So that's what I opened the conversation with. And he says, what happened? (laughs) So I I just kind of gave him the reader's digest version, uh, the highlights, the lowlights. And, uh, I said, man, I, you know, I understand. And, and you know what? He was actually super cool about it. Like he said, man, you know, I think he said, uh, I, yeah, I guess we're, we're still trying to get that new trucker stink off of you. Huh? <laughs> it's like, I, I guess you could call it that. Yeah. That, that stinks a little bit, but he knew I was a, I was a rookie and, and machinery hauling is hard. And, and I didn't know what I was doing and, you know, so he he was super forgiving about it, and he he actually did not fire me for that. He told me, you know, take a day off, chill out, relax a little bit, get your head on straight, come back to work, and we'll talk about it. And uh, yeah, so that's what I did, and you know, I <laughs> I did end up getting fired from that job, um, maybe like two weeks later. <laughs> Because I, I was just, man, I was such a rookie. I was in a different place. That was in a rough spot, just emotionally for me. And I was just making all kinds of mistakes. I delivered a machine to the wrong, like, zip code. Uh, a couple weeks later, I ran over a parking meter in Oakland with a backhoe. <laughs> it was just all bad. I shouldn't have been doing that job. You know, I was only 20, uh, I think I was 21 or 22. I was 22 at the time. And I was so new to trucking. I, I should have got another job first. I think that's uh, most companies that do machinery don't they don't hire guys that young to to move machinery. Anyhow, so that that was that was a, there was a good gap between when I did that and then when I started working for Sun State again. Of course, I I never told my current employer about that incident when <laughs> when I got hired there. Uh, but I, I made some errors working for Sun State as well, but nothing, nothing on that level for sure. I think uh, I kind of honed my skills, and you know, in the last six years, I think uh, I've become pretty proficient <laughs> at moving machinery. Although, well, okay, c- really quick, a couple incidents uh, at Sun State that they know about that I think are are worth sharing. Uh, one time, I, I had a uh, a water truck on my truck and I was in the yard and I was unloading it and I I had gotten in a conversation. I was talking to somebody and I forgot to put the ramp down on, on the back of the truck, you know, and the, and the, the bed of the truck is probably three feet off the ground. It's not crazy high, but you're definitely supposed to (laughs) lower the ramp before you unload the piece of, excuse me, piece of machinery. And so I, uh, I unchained the water truck and I, I got in it and I started backing it up and then all of a sudden just like bam 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 like it was really abrupt and I was like gosh that was a lot rougher than I think it should have been <laughs> and I looked down and, and the front wheels of the 
water truck are on the trailer in front of me and the back wheels are on the ground <laughs> and there's no ramp i just drove right off the back of the uh right off the back of the truck luckily the the turnover at sun state is pretty quick so there's only a handful of guys that would even remember that that happened even my current boss doesn't know that <laughs> which is great because they all think i'm awesome like they always never made any mistakes no i made them before they got there <laughs> Uh, there was another time I, I had a machine just come off the truck while I was in it, but that was a mechanical failure. It wasn't, wasn't actually my fault, but it, it was scary because these, you know, the, the, these pieces of machinery are all huge and they're all heavy and they will, you know, they'll kill a person without even slowing down. They don't even think about it. They don't have any feelings or anything. They just do it. And, uh, so there's that, but, uh, I did that for Sun State. I worked, uh, full time there. Uh, for about three and a half years or so. And uh, I still work there, actually. I, I work there uh, maybe at, on a busy week, I'll do three days. Most weeks, I'll work there maybe two days a week. And I do that just because, you know, li- living in the Bay Area, being single, having bills, you know, having some, some leftover debts from, you know, when I had back surgery and all that. Uh, you know, you need the extra cash. And so I, I go in there and I, I work a couple of days a week. And, but the cool thing is that how that came about is, is an interesting story because at, at one point I w- was working there full time. And that's, you know, full time there means that you're working five days a week. And uh, sometimes you're on call. So once in a while you work a full Saturday. So some weeks you're, you're actually on for six full days. And, uh, that's hard and <laughs> it's exhausting. It's hard work. It's, you know, you have to be mentally focused and you're, you're driving a semi in the Bay area and you know, you're moving machines around, you're throwing chains around and, and it's, it's just a rough, it's a rough way to make a living. And I was feeling it and I was just struggling because I, gosh, I'd, I'd felt like I'd been given some giftings from God and I believe that he set me up to be a communicator of sorts and a teacher. And I'd found that I'd had some giftings and some success in teaching kids. And I've always, I had always thought that, gosh, if I could, uh, you know, if I could do my life again, or if I could go back, gosh, I wish I had gone to school, you know, maybe some kind of seminary or something like that. And I could teach kids and all that. But you know, I, I just thought, man, it's, gosh, I mean, it's too late for that. I'm in my late twenties. I, I, I got bills to pay. I can't go back to school. Like this, this is, this is not an option for me to change the direction of my life and, and that kind of thing. And so I, I just kind of resigned to like, okay, I guess this is it. Like, I'm just going to be a, a trucker. And it's not like that's a bad thing to be, you know, the trucking, it's a great job, but I, I felt this calling within me. And it just, I believe that if you're really called to something, you should be uncomfortable with what you're doing if it's not that. And I felt that heavy, heavy, just, man, I I want to do this. I want to, I want to teach the gospel. I want to teach kids. And and I was doing it, you know, in in the cracks, you know, I, I was leading a uh, a third through sixth grade ministry uh, called Awana at a local church over here called Newark Community Church. A little plug for them. 
uh, and that was great. And I was also serving with the high school group uh, at Resonate Church called Amplify, which is that that's the second thing I'm going to talk about is the camp. And uh, I, you know, but I felt like, gosh, I like I I had more in me. Like I wanted to do more, but I just did not have the time or the energy really to do more than I was already doing. And so I, I was just really uncomfortable with that. I was feeling discouraged. And when you feel that way, you know, it's it's a great job. It's a great job. And and you know, to the guys, you know, at, at Sun State or whatever who are listening, like, man, it, it's it's an it's a noble profession. It's a hard job. You're earning a, a, a good wage for your family like it, it's it's a profession it's a highly skilled form of trucking i will not take anything away from that but i felt like my calling was somewhere else but i i had no idea how i would ever make that happen or how that could possibly be and it just made me really uncomfortable and it, it was very discouraged and i was going through it a time when i was just feeling just hopeless about it i mean anybody you know, my I talked to it. I talked to my uh, my good friend about it. I talked to my niece about it. And just like there's, there's got to be more than this, is what I kept saying. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something. More. I feel like God's calling me to something, but I don't know what. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's next. And uh, my uh, my pastor uh, at the time, Ryan Kwan, had shot me a message about. He he was doing this backyard project in his yard and his goal was to, was to like transform his backyard into a place that could be used as like a hangout to, to as a meeting place that people could come over you know ministries could have meetings there and dinners there and barbecues there and all these things it, it was really cool and so I, I was he invited me over because I'm kind of useful for different things and uh, I guess he didn't mind having me around which is great but I had access to machinery and he was trying to dig uh this big hole in his yard that it was going to be used for a, a pond or a, like a koi pond i think it was or some kind of french drain something like that I, yeah that's that's what it was. it was he was going to put in a waterfall and this was going to be like the the french drain portion where the water goes into it. anyway long story short I, I brought a machine over i dug a hole ripped up a tree it was a blast uh but afterward uh ryan uh, invited me out to lunch and we went over to La Piñata on uh, Thornton and uh, we got to talking and you know he he was I, I don't know what he was thinking ahead of time but he started just asking me about life direction stuff and all these kinds of things and uh, he you know I, I just expressed this hunger that I had in me like I, I just I want to do more I feel called to teach I want to teach kids but I just don't know you know, I don't know how I could, I don't know, you know, I, I just expressed that frustration, that whole thing I just told you about. And, uh, he ended up inviting me to consider interning with the church. And I thought, interning, really? Like, that's kind of, like, I'm, I'm almost, I was like 31 at the time. I thought, I can't be an intern, what am I going to intern for? I'm not even in college. But he said, no, 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 internship is, you know, it, it's you just kind of figuring out what your calling is. It's you, you get to come in and try different things and exercise your spiritual gifts and just see if ministry is for you. See if maybe like a, a drastic change in your life direction is uh, is supposed to happen. 
And at first I was like, oh, yeah, that's okay. That's cute, pastor, right? But, you know, in the real world, like, <laughs> things like that just don't happen. And, uh, but he said something to me. He said, you know what? Um, if you want it, you'll figure it out. And he just kind of left it there. And this is the first of many of these kinds of conversations that I've had with him. And I know he, he, he tunes into the podcast sometimes. So Ryan, if you're listening, um, you know, I, I can't even express the deep gratitude that I feel towards that, that man, because, you know, from, from that instance and many, 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 many more since then, like God has not used any single person's voice more dramatically in my life to speak into my to my soul to just identify who I am and push me you know to take hard looks in the mirror to look at Christ hard God has used your voice Ryan to to literally change who I am and I I know that there are thousands of others potentially who could say the same thing but in this case you know he he kind of challenged me to consider like okay you're you know, you say like you you feel this calling. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and so I went home and I, I I just thought like, okay, well, all right. So if I were to be an intern, right, it's not a lot of money. Um, it'd be a, a huge time sacrifice, which I'm cool with. Like that's what I'm hungry for. Let's go. But I still got to pay bills. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I said, okay, well, if I had my way of it, here's here's what I would do. And I thought, well, I, I would try to convince Sunstate to let me work part-time. And so that I could uh, intern for this year, you know, as the rest of the time. And I, I thought, like, gosh, how cool would that be? Like if I could just take a year out of my life and just just devote that to service, even if it's just for a year. Like how cool is that? That the the year that I was thirty one was the year that I got to take the leash off and just go serve Christ with everything that I had. Like just pour everything out. I was like, ah, that's a neat dream. And the next day, I was kind of like, okay, well, why don't I? Let me just okay, whatever. Like, Lord, you know, if, if if you want this to happen, like you're pretty good at like figuring out the details for these kinds of things. So I I sent uh, an email to my boss at Sun State at the time. Uh, his name was Josh, and to my knowledge, Josh wasn't a, a believer, right? He's not a, a Christ follower or anything like that, and. What what I just basically said uh, was, "Hey Josh, like I have I have this opportunity, and it was it was hard to explain. Like intern, it's not really internship. So what what the way I explained it is that it's basically a local uh, missionary because <laughs> I'm going to be on mission for a year locally. So it's basically a local mission trip. That's how I, that's the best way I could explain it to someone who doesn't you know grasp these concepts or whatever without." going into this big theological thing. And I told them, so this is, it's a year long thing. It's working for the church. Uh, it's basically full time. And, you know, in the meantime, what I'd like to do is work part time, uh, trucking. And, uh, after a year, I would come back full time. 
and the internship is over and, and you know, like it never happened. And uh, I just sent that off to him just thinking like, there's, there's no way, like, <laughs> what am I doing? And, you know, my, my employer is not known for going out of their way to accommodate, you know, their average blue collar employee with these kinds of things. You know, people get fired all the time. Like, it's just not, it's a, it's a construction business. It's not known for compassionate, touchy feely type stuff, <laughs> type stuff. And, uh, I thought there's no way, you know, they're just going to laugh at this. And, uh, so the next day I was over at, over at Sun State and I walked into the branch and there's a guy standing there and he's a taller guy and he's, he's bald, maybe like 50 years old or so. And for some reason, every, uh, every corporate guy at that company looks just like that. They're all tall, bald, and 50. So <laughs> I, I just assume that every time I see a bald guy, oh, he must be, you know, a big wig. And this guy... Uh, he turns around and he, he sees me and he, he, you know, he reads the name on my shirt and he says, Oh, Hey, are you Ryan? I was like, Oh, Oh, uh -oh. <laughs> what happened? And I go, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I knew and what I said to him was, oh, that depends. <laughs> what did I do? And he says, no, no, um, your boss forwarded me an email that you sent him yesterday. And I, I read that and, and he said, uh, I think that's a pretty cool thing. What you're what you're trying to jump in and do there. And, uh, well, you know, my name is Jeff. I think, I think Jeff was his name. Gosh, I should know that. But he said, yeah, so I'm, uh, actually the operations manager for the Western United States. And, uh, you know, he's, he's basically the, the second, second in command below the owner himself. And, you know, he's in charge of, I don't think like something like 5,000 employees or something like that. And, uh, he just said, you know, um, I think this is something we want to accommodate. Uh, I like it and, uh, go ahead and tell your, tell your bosses to do like whatever, whatever needs to happen for, for you to be able to do this, uh, scheduling wise, work out a schedule, you know, whatever's got to go down for you to be able to do this. Uh, you know, let's go ahead and do that. <laughs> I was just like, what? I didn't know if this guy was a Christian or whatever. I just met him. I, I, I've never seen him since, actually. This is the only time I ever met this guy was this conversation. And like, there it is. Okay. So we're going to be, uh, uh, so that, you know, but then it got real. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I actually going to do this? <laughs> like, it was an impossibility the, the previous day. And he said, Lord, if you want it to happen, you're going to make it happen. I sent the email and then bam. So I... Okay, so I, I got the phone out, and I texted Ryan, <laughs> and I said, Hey, man, uh, I've, I've, I wish I could go back and read the actual text, but I just said, Well, it doesn't look like I, doesn't look like I need much time to think about it. I'm in. Let's do it. And uh, at that point, I, I became an intern at Resonate Church, and I, I was uh, with actually the Amplify group, the high school group. And I... You know, there's a lot in there, but I, I spent a year, you know, essentially just dumping myself out. I did everything. I showed up to everything. I was all over it. It was so cool just to be able to finally just unleash it and just show. I, I just did everything I could. I planned that, that giant Easter egg extravaganza party that we did, that mess. And, uh... Showed up to every AMP event, every every event, everything I could get my hands on, I just dove in. It was so fun. So fun. But then, 
towards the end of the year, uh, the internship was, you know, was up and, you know, the, the promise that I'd made to Sun State was that after a year that I I was going to come back and I'd be full time. And that was part of the deal. And I was just really kind of grieving that because I, I was enjoying greatly what I was doing. And at that point, I'd actually had the opportunity to preach in front of the church. And, and you know, I I guess it went okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm the best preacher in the world. But just something felt right about it. It's, it just felt right to be teaching. And I, I wanted to learn more about how to do that and how to be in ministry. And so... Uh, I had a little conversation with God. I think I took a little uh, retreat by myself up to the snow. Or No, it wasn't snowing then. When was it? It was during the summer. I just went up to the mountains. I had a few conversations with God about it, and I came to the same spot where I was like, man, you know what? God, you're really good at figuring out the details for these kinds of things. Um, What's next? Like, you want me to serve? You want me to keep going? You want me to stop? Like, to go back to trucking? And I just told him, like, gosh, Lord, okay, like, whatever, you know, whatever you wanted me to do, I'm just going to do that. I said, just just make it clear, you know, tell me what to do. I'll just do that. Just don't don't make me figure it out. <laughs> so I got back in town, and uh, Jackson Purdue, who's one of our, uh, who was our family pastor at the time, he called me and he said, hey, can, can you have a meeting? And then him and the children's ministry director had a meeting with me and they, they offered me uh, a full-time position with the church as the director of the grade school ministry. And I just thought that was so cool. <laughs> like, yeah, this is, this is what I feel like I'm built for. Like, this, this is my sweet spot. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yes, 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 I want to do it. But there was a problem. Um, as, as you could imagine, children's ministry isn't uh, a, a financially lucrative <laughs> venture, right? And like I said, I, I'm single. I live in the Bay Area. And it can be tricky. You know, I, I live on my own. And it's expensive. And I, I did the math on it. And I would be... Not just living check to check, but, you know, penny to penny. Uh, there'd be no no money left over for, you know, a pair of socks <laughs> if I needed that. Or if a car broke down, I, I just wouldn't be able to do it. And I said, gosh, I, 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 don't, I just don't know that I can do it. Like, I'm still going to have to work some. I can't just quit the, the trucking job. And that, that was, oh, gosh, that was just so hard because I... I wanted to do this so badly, I said, but I, I, I have to figure this piece out. But it, it, it struck me, like, okay, well, God did an amazing thing before, and so I'm gonna, okay, I'll send another email, <laughs> and this time it was so bold, I can't believe I said this, but I, I sent him an email and I just basically told him, like, hey, uh, so the, yeah, the whole year thing. Not really. Uh, I actually want to make it permanent. Um, and as much as I'm working now, I, I actually want to work less than that. Uh, so maybe like two days a week, 
Maybe one day a week, maybe some weeks, not at all. Basically, I just want to call you guys and tell you when I can come in. <laughs> and uh, I, I shot the email off to him, and we had a meeting the next day, and they say to me, well, we read this email here, and he says, uh, yeah, we don't see any reason why this can't work. <laughs> I'm just like, what? Are you crazy? You gotta be kidding me. Like, I just felt like God was smiling right then. Like, this is ridiculous. And so, uh, yeah, I, I currently uh, am the only uh, employee of Sun State Equipment out of about 5,000 people that makes up his own hours, that calls them and tells them, yeah, I can work this week. Yeah, I'll work Friday, uh, not Saturday, but I'll come in Monday. And it's ridiculous. And, the, you know, the funny thing is that, like, if I see them on a Monday, they'll thank me. They'll say, hey, Ryan, thanks for your help on the weekend. I'm like, <laughs> you're thanking me? I'm totally abusing you guys. <laughs> but, hey, you're welcome. And uh, that's just how it's been. And uh, so six years I've been in that truck, and it's such a huge blessing. And, you know, life is still tight, man. I just did my taxes today, and I, I owe the state a thousand bucks somehow. I don't know how that happened. I'm going to look into that. But it's still tricky just living on my own, being a single guy, living in the Bay. Like, life is tight. It's tight. But uh, honestly, that, that trucking job that God has provided for me has, you know, doing that one, two, sometimes zero <laughs> days a week has enabled me to do what I do now. And uh, it's it's a huge blessing, and it, it's a crazy story of his provision because it's an impossible thing. It should not happen. It shouldn't be this way, but it is. That's because he wants it. He wants me where I'm at. And that leads me to the second part of what I want to talk about tonight, and that is the high school Amplify Winter Camp, 2019. And that, that's another one of those cases where the the camp goes from uh, a Friday after school, or it's actually just a little bit before school gets out, all the way through Monday evening. And, and those are typically trucking days for me, but it's as simple as calling them on like Wednesday and saying, hey, this weekend, I can't come in at all. I'm out of the state. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Sorry. And they're like, okay, cool. See you next week. It's ridiculous. Totally abusing them, but thank you, Lord. And uh, so I love... I love going on these camps. I love going on these high school camps. See, I, I serve in the ministry, in, in the Amplify ministry with uh, our youth pastor, Chase McVean, every Tuesday night. And it's rare that I'll miss a Tuesday night. I, I just, I love coming to these things. But the truth is that Tuesdays, in a lot of ways, for, uh, you know, the, the, the weekly meeting as far as high school ministry goes, in a lot of ways, is just kind of like maintenance. It's the way I look at it. Because you'll, you know, the meeting is only an hour and a half or two hours long. And you talk to the kids, you get to know them a little bit, you kind of check in with them. But it's really hard to, to go really deep and, and do like substantial conversation with kids on a Tuesday night. Because, it, you, you know, there's not a lot of time. There's a lot of them. It's hard to get around to all of them. It's hard to have those conversations. It's hard to just get people comfortable enough to, you know, get out of their heads about, oh, I got homework when I get home. Oh, I was late because I had this swim practice or this football thing, or, you know, all these different things they got going on. It's a very hectic time. Not all of them come every week. You know, every week there's a handful missing for whatever reason. And so it's just hard to cover a lot of really significant ground on Tuesdays. I feel like it's, in a lot of ways, it's kind of, 
uh, maintenance in a lot of ways. Uh, not completely. You, you get what I'm saying, though. It's 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 hard to cover a lot of ground consistently, and so I think in a lot of a lot of the cases we we look toward these camps as these sort of concentrated doses of real like Christian community and connection, brotherhood, discipleship, all these things. And we always find that the kids make some of their most significant personal decisions and some of their most dramatic growth spiritually at camps like this. Because if you think about it, if we have two hours at AMP and assuming they come every single week, we meet probably somewhere around 50 weeks out of the year. You know, we'll miss, you know, a a few here and there, 50 something, maybe, well, maybe like 45, I don't know, something like that. Two hours a night, you do the math on that. You're only looking at maybe a total, assuming they come to everything. You're only looking at about 80 hours, maybe 90 hours, maybe 100 hours that these kids spend. But they're not contiguous, connected hours. They're broken up by six and a half something days in between. So really, these camps are, are an amazing contrast to that because from 1.30 in the afternoon on Friday all the way till Monday night, we're together. And you can build incredible connection in that amount of time. And you just see kids grow in amazing ways. And by the end of that trip, you would think that they are literally related in a lot of ways. Like they're as close as could be. And so for the kids that are able to come to winter camp and to summer camp and on the mission trip and, you know, to the various events that happen in between, they really, really grow very close together. And uh, that's what I was looking forward to with this camp. And uh, that's what we did. So the way we the way we did this, we uh, we have a bus now. Resonate Church just bought a blue bus. And uh, what a wonderful problem to have. We had too many people for one bus. So we actually had to still charter a second bus, which is crazy. Because we went from, I think, the first year that I went, there was like 48, maybe 52 people. And this time we had 84 or 86, something like that. It's a crazy huge group. There was kids, I don't even know who some of these kids are. Like, I never met them before. But they came. And so we, we split the group in half. Half of them went on the, the new AMP bus, and half of them went on the cushy uh, charter bus. The charter bus was way nicer. Like, really nice seats, really great. The AMP bus is more like a, like a school bus with the benches, and it's not pretty. But it's a party, and it's super fun. So Chase and myself both have bus driving licenses, but he didn't, he didn't want me driving for the whole trip. He wanted me to spend time with students, which is awesome. So he, he drove for the whole trip and he did a fantastic job. We, uh, but at, at this point there, uh, two weeks ago, there was just massive storms that hit Tahoe. <laughs> and so the day before we left, we we're just checking the weather and like checking the road closures. And, and like, we're just hearing about traffic jams coming out of the, our ears, just avalanches. And it just sounded like a survival situation up there. Like, oh my gosh, are, are, is Tahoe going to exist <laughs> by the time we get up there? And so we had just contingency plan after contingency plan. And uh, we departed Fremont promptly at uh, 1, uh, one thirty in the afternoon on uh on friday and uh got in the bus and started cruising out there and it was actually a pretty easy ride for the most part the traffic wasn't that bad and um you know the kids did well you know you know how they are they they 
get some music on and they start yelling and hooping and hollering and dancing around and you know having conversations playing mafia it was great but as we're getting closer to the mountains we're realizing gosh the uh, they're talking about a lot of the roads being closed and there's two ways to get to Tahoe from here you go highway 50 which takes you to south shore Tahoe or you go highway 80 which is a longer route because it takes you around the north side of the lake and so we wanted to go Highway 50 because it's a little bit more direct. But by the time we got to about Placerville and we stopped for dinner, we're just saying, like, the roads are technically open, but nobody's moving. Like, somebody we knew was in the traffic jam, and they're like, we haven't moved in two hours. <laughs> we're not going anywhere. And so our our entire camp made an executive decision and this is a four churches all come together for this one camp and uh it, you know a total maybe 200 students or so and so one of the churches with church of the foothills which is you know in the foothills <laughs> getting closer to, to tahoe and what they had offered was like okay if the roads are that bad what we'll do is we'll host the first night of the camp with the with the speakers and the small groups and the breakouts and the music everything we'll just host it at our church for that night we can stay the night at the church and then finish the drive in the morning as the the highways clear and, and the storm kind of passes they're like hey great plan so we did exactly that we stopped at uh, church of the foothills and it was great they had you know, the, the the stage was set up, our speakers were there, the band was there, and, and, you know, you would think that this is where we were doing the camp, and it was actually pretty well done. I, I got to give mad kudos to Church of the Foothills for putting that together. It was great. And we, we did our music, we did our first talk, and we did our small groups, and something I like to do when we go on these camps is I'll get my, my small group together. This is the group of guys that I that I have every week. There's, uh, if all of them show up, there's like eight of them, but it seems like there's always six or so. And we got them, we got them together. And, uh, I just kind of cast a vision over the camp. And of course, just being in a strange spot, we didn't make it all the way to Tahoe. They, you know, a lot of their expectations were just being kind of challenged. And it was, it was actually a really fruitful time of conversation because, we were able to dig into them a little bit about, so why do you come to these camps? You know, do you see this as a, as just a fun vacation with your friends? Or do you see this as an opportunity to grow closer to your savior and to your brothers and sisters? Cause we can do that anywhere and we're going to start doing it now. We're not going to wait till tomorrow, you know, for camp to start, right? Air quotes. We're going to do it now. And I'm so proud of those guys because they they took it and they took it seriously. And yeah, they were like, man, like I wanted to get to, you know, of course. Yeah, let's, we can grieve that. Sure. This isn't the, the situation that we thought we were going to be in, but let's make the most of it. We're here, right? We're together. And darn it, they did. It was great. So we had our first, uh, our first, uh, what do you call it? Session, right? And the, the talks were done by these two guys, and that they're a, sort of a, a sketch comedy speaker combo group of two, and they call themselves Far From Ordinary, FFO. These guys are fantastic. So they come out and they, they put on little, like little skits with each other where they take on different roles and they, they just kind of work out different 
they're basically like modernized parables, right? And then then they come out of character and they do the teaching. They open scripture and they talk to the kids about, you know, they basically do a little sermon and then they'll interrupt the sermon with another little sketch bit. So, so well done. Just very, very good. And and they, so they spent the whole weekend doing these, like, you know, twice a day. Once on Friday, twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. Uh, they lead the kids through these these talks. And uh, the whole weekend was, was really good. The, the, the theme of the camp was called All In. And what we were trying to do was work through with the kids. Like, what, what does it really look like for us to be all in for Christ? Like, starting with why would we want to be all in with Christ? Well, because c- he's actually all in with us. <laughs> Remember? Like, he left heaven, came to the earth as a baby, gave up all this, like, heavenly power and authority and glory and all these things to be a baby. And, and he came to an earth that he knew was going to kill him. Like, it, that's pretty stinking all in, really. And uh, that kind of love, that kind of God, you know, following God like that, as we become more like him, as we immerse ourselves in who he is, he's going to change us too. And it's going to look more like we're all in. And so we spent the whole weekend just kind of going through that and challenging the guys. Like, what, man, do we really believe this? Like, what would it look like if, if I really believed that I'm heaven bound that I'm loved by a God like this. Like, what does that look like in my life? Where does my life not look like that? And why? In what ways am I kind of not really all in? Like, why is that? Is it because I'm, I am I doubt? Is it because I, I don't really trust that God has the best in mind for me? Like, what is it? And it, gosh, it was so fruitful because we, after the talks, we go through the small group times and, and we just discuss these things. And it, it sparked off some very, very heartfelt some very deep, uh, just really introspective thought for, I think, most of the kids there. My guys in particular, all of them uh, just started talking about just different idols in their life, you know, different things that they prioritize over, you know, their relationship with Christ, uh, the ways that they doubt, the way that they hold back, the things that they keep to themselves, the ways that they're still selfish and short-sighted. I mean, these are sophomores in high school, for God's sake, and they're considering these things legit. So proud, you know, and I, I, those of you who might be a parent of, of one of the guys in my group, you know who you are. Like, you'd be so proud of just that deep thought that your sons went through for that trip and and even your daughters too I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that but uh something that we did uh every night well the first night we were there i led the guys to do like this storyboarding it's something we did as a church staff that that they really dug to and that's uh where they draw pictures of their life and it's like draw a picture of what your relationship with your creator has been over the last year. Draw a picture representing your relationship with your family. Uh, draw one of what you're hopeful for over the next year. Draw your highlights, your lowlights. And then so each each session we went through a couple guys and they got to fill everybody in on well, what's been going on in the last year. and how's, how's this relationship? How's that relationship? And, you know, there's a... There's a thing in Christian circles where when you're talking about, you know, confession and testimony stuff, you know, people can get pretty comfortable going to that like 70% vulnerable mark, 
you know, where, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you my struggles, but I won't get specific and I'll hold back this and that and this, you know, these darker things. And then once you get a little closer, there's like the 80% mark and then there's the 90% mark. And then there's like that, that, that red zone (laughs) where nobody gets in there that 95% like dirty laundry, like here it is. Here's my inner thoughts. Like this is what makes me ugly. These are the things that make me question how God could love me, like that kind of stuff. And I have to tell you that with this group of sophomores, we're in that zone, man. They are, they're bearing it. They're telling, they're telling each other things that they're, they're obviously in that zone. And that they, they believe that each other are for each other. They believe each other loves each other. And they confess these things. And it makes me so proud and humbled. And it's so powerful because they don't have these dark spots. They're, they're shining light into each other's lives with each other. And these kind of shameful, dark things that we keep in the corners of our lives don't have control over them anymore. They are, they're free of them together. And they hold each other accountable. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And this is in the midst of giggling about fart jokes and just like, it's, it's so crazy. Like they, they display these just epic moments of spiritual maturity. It just that, that I wish like the adult, like grown up missional community, small groups that we have at our church. I, I wish that they could reach this level of vulnerability. It's crazy. And then five minutes later, they fall apart giggling because someone like made a fart in the back. That's <laughs> ridiculous. But in, in any case, I'm so proud of them. And uh, we finally did get up to uh, Tahoe, by the way. Uh, the next morning, uh, the roads looked like they're cleared up enough. We ended up taking Highway 80, which is the long way around. But it was gorgeous, gorgeous road. It snowed a lot of the times. Um, <laughs> I should tell you this. So the, the nice charter bus uh, has a bathroom on it, whereas the Amplify bus does not. And when you're in a bus for six hours, uh, sometimes you got to go. And we were at a stretch, you know, we're off in the Sierras. Like, there's nothing out there for a long way, and we had to go. So we strategized about it, and we're like, okay, well, the guys are simple. So we'll start with that. We pull over, and we just tell all the guys, like, hey, guys, uh, we're peeing. <laughs> so everyone, find your own spot. Keep your eyes forward. And go write your name in the snow. It's great. And we all did that. It was fun. You know, one of the kids said, this is kind of fun. It's like, you know, when you see a lightsaber cut through a steel door. Like, that's kind of what I'm doing right now with this snow. <laughs> snow. Uh, the girls part was a lot more complicated. They had to make like this makeshift like tent thing out of sleeping bags so they could have a little privacy and do their business over there. It was kind of fun. A lot of them were scared of it, but they, it seemed like you know, our, our students are so game for stuff like that. It's ridiculous. None of them are like Madonna, you know, uh, uh, little divas or anything. They're super cool. So that was fun. We ended up getting up there. We got settled in. and It was so fun. It just the snow was everywhere. It snowed almost the whole time we were there. It was an endless snowball fight. People making snowmen, sledding down hills. It just, oh gosh, it's so fun. So fun. Uh, you know, but in the midst of that, we're, we're just these these really really deep epic conversations and uh you know at at one point um i i was walking through one of the little areas there and i saw one of our uh high school girls kind of sitting uh almost by herself on on in one of the rooms there in in like this uh 
worship room and I took a look at her and it's like, oh gosh, her eyes look like, you know, like you could tell when someone's been crying and she just looks kind of sad. And I was like, oh no, like what? That makes me so sad. <laughs> like, why, why are you crying? And uh, as time went on, you know, I, I, I know that group very well. Uh, it's, it's, we, we have this group of junior girls that's called the Chickleys. Uh, and they're just, they're just a delightful group of goober girls. I love them. Like they're my own kids. It's ridiculous. They're, they're just, but, uh, I, I guess, you know, a theme had been coming up with them, uh, as well as with my guys too. And, and as it turns out with a lot of the students that were actually at the camp, there was this, and I think as they were being pushed to really consider this all in thing, uh, they were confronted in a lot of ways with their own unbelief and it it shook them deeply. And I know that can sound really scary for like, if you're a, a a parent of one of these kids or even their leader from our perspective, you know, they're, they're talking about, gosh, do I really believe this? Like, do I think God is real? Like, why don't I want to go all in? Why do I have these doubts? Why do I put all these things in front of my faith? Why, 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 why? And they start to doubt, and it it became a a very legitimate, real struggle of a weekend for a lot of our students, my guys, and and for these girls, and for uh, a a good handful of other ones throughout the weekend. And it, uh, it, it just, gosh, while on one hand it was... You know, it's troubling because you're like, gosh, like they're struggling. They're, this isn't a, a happy-go-lucky, feel-good kind of trip for them. This has been hard. They're not going to have that like mountaintop high, yay, everything's great after camp kind of feeling. Like this is, they're doing real work here. But this is real mature struggle. And I think we we all go through these ebbs and flows with our faith where sometimes we feel it, sometimes we don't. You know, sometimes, man, you'll be, you'll be feeling so good. Gosh, someone plucks a string on a guitar and you start crying. Yeah, I love you, God. Woo. You know, (laughs) where you just feel so connected to God. You can just see him. You can feel him everywhere. You just want to follow him, everything. And then other times you're just like, gosh, are you even there? Are you even real? And you wonder... You know, if if those times go on long enough, you just wonder, like, was it real before? Like, was I just being emotional and fanciful and, I don't know, is this even where I'm supposed to be at? And, and I think for a lot of them, this was one of the first times they went through one of those little valleys. And I know it's been a couple of weeks, but there's, there's a handful of them that are kind of still in that spot. And as much as I would just love to wave a magic wand or say the right words to get them out of it, uh, I think it's good for them to be in that struggle. I think it's it's really, really important for our young people to really consider, you know, w- why do I believe what I believe? Is this faith really mine? Why am I here? Because a lot of them don't, they don't do that. They grow up in the church or whatever, and they, they show up to church on Sundays, and they, they do all the church stuff just because that's what they've always done. It's like they're hereditary Christians, and that that's not the case. Like, everyone has to come to a spot where they're going to own this thing or not, and they're going to go all in or not. And this trip really challenged them to consider that. And I'm so glad that it did, because this is a, a glorious struggle that they're in right now. And it was a, a true privilege to just play a role, to be there as part of that for them. And there was one day in particular where uh, this Chickley's group and mine, 
I just felt like the trip was so busy. It was so hectic. It was truck, you know, uh, 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 tricky getting up there. And so, you know, we, myself and uh, Annie, Annie Tay and Sharon Peng, who, who's the leader for these girls, we just said like, hey, let's, you know, that we're going to do the, these breakout sessions. And there was all these activities planned for the afternoon. And, uh, you know, th- them two and I got together and just said, hey, why don't we, let's just kind of skip the uh, afternoon activities. And let's take our groups out on like a little snow hike and uh, find a, you know, quiet spot and just let them be still for a little while. Because I found in, in my in my own walk uh, with Christ that stillness uh, can be hard to come by. You know, we're so busy. There's always somewhere to go. There's always something to do. There's a load of laundry. You know, I'm sitting in my house right now and I'm looking at my shoes sitting over there. My shoes are disorganized. Darn it. Uh, I got, I'm sitting next to a rolled up piece of carpet that I was going to put in. I got you know, there's a chair over there. Like, there's things to clean. Like, my dishes need to be done. Like, there's always something to do. And there's always these pressures around you. And that's just in my house. Like, let alone the projects I'm doing at church. Like, what I got to do tomorrow. My schedule for this. Schedule for that. And these kids are the same. They're super busy. Gosh, they're all in college prep mode. Half of them are taking four AP classes. It drives me crazy. I don't know how they do it. They're on sports teams. And there's a lot of pressure on them. There's a lot of busyness. And I know that stillness is so hard to come by. And yet, for... For times like that, when you are in a a real spiritual struggle and you're questioning things, like you need to fight for that stillness. And so that that's kind of <laughs> long story short, that's what we did. Uh, we we took our our kids out, and you know my group is seven people, hers, uh, theirs I think is seven or eight. So it's it's not a tiny group, but we took them out and. You know, went around and walking around in the snow and just playing, throwing snowballs and stuff. But then we found a cool spot down the road. It was really secluded and uh, had a good view of the lake. And we just kind of sat the, you know, sat them all down. And I just kind of walked them through a little exercise of reflection to consider what you believe and why you're here and and that. You know, uh, God, you know, <laughs> it seems crazy to say this, you know, sometimes, but, but sometimes just somebody telling you, Hey, you know, this is, this is real. You know, God is real. Like I, I really believe that, that Christ was a guy. He came, he was the son of God and he died for you. That happened. That's a real thing. And it's okay to have doubts. It's not a shameful thing to have doubts. We all do. We're not all expected to understand this all the time. We're not expected to be the strongest people in the world. It's just pillars of the faith. Everybody has has moments when they just don't feel it, where they just feel down or doubting or, or just you go through these valleys. And But these, these are good. This is a good time for you because you are going to discover more of who you really are. And you're going to make decisions about who you really believe that Christ is. You're not going to take it for granted now. See, you're being exposed to your own faith. And the holes in it are only going to drive you to consider uh, whether or not you believe in this God. And it it brought up a a scripture that I... This is the only thing I prepared for tonight. But uh, it's in Matthew chapter 7. It starts at verse 7. And this is the, the words of Jesus. He says... Uh, ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find 
Knock, and it will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who will knock, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And as much as I think this can be about tangible things, I think this is far more about spiritual sustenance than anything else. And I think that uh, this is what we led our students to do, is just to take some time to be still, to be quiet, to ask God to meet you, to seek intimacy with him. Because I think in the, at the core of it, we we can, you know, we, we don't produce our faith. It says faith is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. Our life is a gift from God. The very air that we breathe, like God, everything that we have is provided by him. And so is our salvation. It's by grace that you've been saved, not by good works so that no one can boast. That's what scripture says. It's by grace. It's not because I'm so smart or I'm so holy or I impressed God or I did this or that. It's by grace and grace alone. But at the same time, God says like, hey, this is a relationship. Like there's ways that you can participate in this thing. And he's given us these tools that we can use to seek him, we, to seek intimacy. This is what he's saying. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be open to you. This is what his promise is. And he's given us these tools that we can use in, in that process of seeking. See, that seeking is an action word. It's a verb. It's, there's things that we can do. And and I think in a lot of ways, we we tend to approach our Christian relationship with God like it's some kind of... Uh, uh, kind of a cold, uh, procedural, religious kind of thing that we, we just check things off and that's going to make us good. I, I don't think that's how it works. I think seeking God means doing the things that, that are within our ability to do, using the, the tools that God has given us to use, intentionally seeking intimacy with him. You think about it. If we, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, I read, I read scripture all day. I read, read, read four hours. I read the whole Bible this year. I go, that's great. But what'd you get out of it? Like what, what was the intimacy you felt with your creator through that? I mean, his word is a love letter to us, <laughs> right? Every single passage is rich with truth about who God is, who Christ is, and what it means for us. That's all in there. And I think reading scripture as, as just a, an academic exercise is to miss the intimacy that's contained within it. I think every passage, you know, I, I tell my guys all the time, like I, I, I'm not going to ask you to read miles of scripture every day, but if you could tell me that you read one single verse today, but that you did it with an intent to be intimate with your creator, that's a win. That's a win. We can worship a lot of times we can go to church on Sundays and we could just do Christian karaoke. You know, we're just standing there reading the words on the screen. Hey, the music's great. Ah, the music was good today. Music was bad, whatever. But that's not intimacy. See, God gives us worship as a, as a route for intimacy with him. And the, the way we do that is by, we look at the words on the screen and you, you sing them to God as a prayer. Make them your own. That's intimacy. You know, we can, uh, 
what, we can pray for God's sake. How, how, how often, you know, I rarely meet Christian people that would tell me they pray as often as they feel like they should. Right. And again, I, I'm not super impressed if someone tells me, oh, I pray for one hour every morning or two hours every morning or every, every this or that, like, okay, but are you praying in a way that is intimate with your father? You know, I think you can do that anywhere. And I th- because I think prayer at its root, at its core is about a relationship. You're speaking to your father. You're, I mean, how many people would you say you have a great relationship with that you never talk to? <laughs> or when you do talk to them, it's one-sided where there's only one person talking, you know, or you never really get that deep, you know, like a, a real close, tight relationship involves intimate communication. It's sharing your deepest thoughts. It's seeking intimacy. And in a lot of times it just means being still and listening. And I think so often, again, our lives are so busy. They're so stressful. They're so strenuous that even our prayer lives, most of the time we just spend just going down our to-do list. Uh, we just spend talking when I think a lot of times we need to say less <laughs> and listen more and just foster that relationship to knock on the door uh, in a lot of ways. Here's, here's how I look at it. And this is how I explained it to the, to our students there and sitting in the snow on the side of the lake is that in a lot of ways, our relationship with God is like the relationship we have with a, uh, a drowning person. We're the drowning person. And I've taken water rescue classes and something they tell you in water rescue is that when, when a person is drowning, you don't want to swim out there and try to grab them because a lot of times they are panicking. And what they'll do is they'll try to use you as a flotation device and they'll actually end up taking you down with them. <laughs> and then instead of one person drowning, now you have two. So they'll tell you one thing that you do is you wait. You wait until they are exhausted. And you wait till they have basically given up and you wait till they are about to drown. And at that point, you then you jump in and you grab them because they're not going to fight anymore. They're not going to put up a you know st- struggle. They're not going to grab you. They're just going to go with it. And there's, there's something that happens when, uh, when someone's about to drown and they, they're about to go underwater and there, there's just a, there's a reflex. There's a, an impulse within people to try to keep any part of themselves above the water. Even, even if it's not their nose or their mouth, they'll, they'll reach up and they'll stick their hand out of the water as the rest of them goes under. And I think that's the position <clears throat> that we need to try to get into with our spiritual walk. Excuse me. <coughs> it's a lot of talking. I think that's that's the position of helpless submission. You see, so much of the time we we're sitting there thrashing in the water, trying to tread water, trying to swim, trying to do whatever we can to save ourselves. When what we need to do is just stick our hand up. That's all we can do. Because here's the thing. When that person puts their hand up out of the water and they get rescued, how much work can they claim having done in that rescue? (laughs) Not really any. All they did was have their hand up there. 
And the rescuer grabbed it. The rescuer pulled them. The rescuer saved them. The rescuer did this. The rescuer did everything. Everything. All they did was hold on for the ride. And I, I believe that's that's the position we have to take with this in a lot of ways. Is is just our job in, in our relationship with our creator is to seek intimacy in the ways that we can. And really, all that is, is we're just using the tools that God has given us, that he's equipped us with, that he empowers, that he equips, that he responds, and we're just doing, we're just putting our hand up. When I read scripture, I'm seeking intimacy with him. I'm putting my hand up in the air. I'm not trying to do this myself. I'm seeking intimacy. When I'm worshiping him, when I'm praying in song to my creator, I'm not doing it for me. I'm not doing it to try to survive. I'm, I'm just... That's, I'm just putting my hand up. And I think it's interesting that, you know, putting our hands up in the air is like a thing in the Christian church, you know, that we do during worship. And I think that's a lot more rich of a statement than people even realize they're doing. You know, they're just putting their hands up. You're helpless. I, I just, I have nothing to offer you. All I can do is reach up. I want to know you. I want to meet you. I want you to grab my hand. I want you to drag me to safety. And uh, I'm so proud of our students because they, you know, after, after we talked about that, we went off into the snow and, you know, it was, I think it was like 20 degrees outside. So we took like 10 minutes just to be still, just to be quiet. Um, and they did, they took it seriously. And afterward we talked to them like, what, what was, uh, what was God saying to you? And a lot of them were just talking about, like, God was showing me my idols. God was showing me that that I can believe in him. He was showing me that I can trust him, but that I don't. A lot of conviction, a lot of truth, a lot of hard things. Amazing. Amazing that these high schoolers would do this. And, and I, I, you know, we got them together afterward and I told them, you know, I, I don't have kids of my own, of course, so I don't know how much I would love my own kids. I'm sure that I would, but that uh, I love these kids like they're my own kids. And uh, I'm so proud of them for listening, for being willing to be honest about where they're at. And, uh, you know, I, I'm eager, I'm excited, I'm looking forward to them struggling further with this. And some of them still are, like I said. And uh, I can't wait to see the fruit that comes from that, because I think these kind of struggles are are the things when we define our faith. And they're they're doing that hard work now, and I think it's going to be gorgeous when they uh, when they get to the end of that. In any case, um, on on the uh, on the back end of that trip, you know, we spend the two and a half days up there. Just a lot went down like that. A lot went down, and then on the ride back uh, after this. And and by the way, the the beds at Zephyr Point. Uh, um, conference center were fantastic the Tempur-Pedic beds like legit Tempur-Pedic brand name beds couldn't believe it I haven't slept that well in forever it's ridiculous so but I still didn't sleep as much as I normally do <laughs> so you're short on sleep on these trips but on the bus ride back I found that to be such a fruitful time for these kids because they've spent two and a half almost three days together concentrated church family community and I think it's such a great time uh, of reflection for them. 
And so what I do is I sit towards the front of the bus where it's quieter. And uh, one at a time, you know, I'll call up the guys in my group. And I basically make appointments with them. And I, I give them some questions the night before to run through. You know, like, what, uh, how was your trip? What were the highs? What were the lows? What did God teach you? You know, what's something that you need to start doing? What's something you need to stop doing? How can I be a better benefit to you? Um, things like that. So I, I have them write those questions down and think about them overnight. And then on the bus ride home, I call them up to the front. And then we, we go through those questions and... Uh, we talk about the answers and then we pray together and, you know, try to have some action steps and like, what are we going to do when we get home? And it was, it's so exhausting, but, it, but gosh, that time is so fruitful for these guys. And every single one of them just had some great nugget of understanding about their own life, about who they are, about who God is, just some, some deep confession and some big decisions. Like when I get home, I, I got to do this. I got to tell my dad about this thing. I got to confess this. I got to stop doing that. Like, you know, Mr. Ryan Weber, like, can you help me with this? Like, I have these questions. And uh, so proud of these guys for doing that. It's super humbling to be a part of that. And uh, just to have the privilege of speaking into someone else's life like that and be trusted by the parents of these kids to take them off into the... <laughs> the snow for three days and to play a role in, in them wrestling with who they're going to be. It, it's a, it's a glorious process and uh, there's nowhere else I'd rather be really. Like I, I tend not to actually take vacations myself because like, these are the things that I want to do and they're not restful. Like I, <laughs> I'm probably overdue for like a, a day on the couch around here <laughs> just to recharge from all this. But, uh, nowhere else I'd rather be. Um, fortunately the ride home was only like, I think it was like seven hours. It wasn't that bad. Previous years, uh, I think our record is like 15 hours or something like that. Ridiculous. Traffic is bad. The snow is bad, whatever. But this one went by pretty well. It was super fast. Chase McVean did a great job piloting the bus. What a champ. And now we're back in town and, uh, you know, the, uh, the kids are, they're continuing. I think it's great that they're, whoa, text message. That's bad, uh, podcasting faux pas right there. Um, the kids are doing great. And I, I think the, the trip pushed them in ways. And, and, you know, it was interesting because I, I think a lot of them have been to enough of these camps that they are insulated a bit from that whole camp high thing because the camp high goes away. And I don't think that really happened. They didn't really get that camp high. And I know some of them were disappointed by it, but I wasn't. Because I think the the work that they did, what they did get, aren't things that go away. Like, they're asking questions that, as they construct answers to, it will actually change who they are. It's not something that's just based on some emotion or some good feeling or whatever. Like, and, and you know, whatever. Feelings are great. I love, I had a feeling once and it was great. But I think our... Our, one thing that, that we can do in our spiritual walks, uh, a huge sign of maturity is an untethering of our uh, spiritual walk or the condition of our relationship with Christ to untether that from our current emotional condition, our, our current circumstance. And I think uh, these kids are starting to realize that uh, 
gosh, my relationship with my creator isn't always going to feel great, but he's still there. I'm not always going to feel wonderful, but these things are still true. I'm not always going to feel like following him, but I can still decide to. I don't feel like worshiping, but I'm going to do it to seek intimacy with him. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like, I don't feel, I don't feel, feel. that's fine. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says we have to feel good about everything that we're doing. It doesn't, but it says follow, it says go. And I think that there's, there's the amen for when we're happy with our fists are up in the air. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But then at the same time, there's that lamenting broken hallelujah. The prayers that we say when, when, when we just say, God, I don't feel you right now. I don't know if I like you right now. I don't know if I want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But Lord, I know you're there and I will follow you still. I think there is so much fruit in that kind of prayer. There's so much value in that kind of faith that it, that is not based on my feelings, but is based on my calling. It's not based on the condition of my day but it's based on, on the condition of my soul. And that is saved and that, that it belongs to you and I will serve you, I will follow you and I will do these things and I will have joy in my heart while I can have sorrow uh, in my feelings. And uh, I think that's, a, that's an incredible lesson that, that our students are just starting to learn and, and that I think honestly in my own life that I'm, I'm just starting to be able to articulate well enough to teach them, to lead them through it. The timing is interesting on that, uh, but again, it's a privilege to do so. And uh, if you know, for those of you who are, you know, who were in that group up there, uh, I just I want to encourage you, just from the depths of my heart, I'm so proud of you for being willing to look in the mirror, to be willing to to see what's there, to ask yourself these hard questions, and to let the answers scare you a little bit and to shake you a little bit. That's fine. That's good. It's not shameful. It doesn't mean you're bad or God doesn't love you. It just means that you are now doing the hard work, doing the scary thing, but the incredibly fruitful thing of, of wrestling with your own faith and nailing this thing down for yourself. And uh, I, you know, from this side of it, I know that when you're in that kind of circumstance, it can be hard. And you don't know how it's going to turn out, and, and it's a little scary. I, I get it. It's uncharted turf for you, but for somebody in my position, I I am genuinely already thanking God for the fruit that will come from you struggling to define your own faith, to make your own path, and to develop the discipline to put your hand up. Uh, so there's that. So with that, I'm going to wrap the night up. I talked for way longer uh, than I had originally intended. Uh, but thank you so much for listening uh, to this. And uh, I'm thankful to have an audience that is willing to hear my voice on these podcasts. Uh, I love doing this. I'm so thankful for this opportunity. And again, if, uh, if you want to support what's going on here at the Great Stories Podcast, if you want these stories to get out, even the silly trucking stories, uh, down to the deep-hearted testimonies, uh, share these episodes, uh, go into the Apple podcast, go into YouTube, give it a thumbs up, subscribe to the channels, you know, support it in the, in those platforms and just spread the word about the show. I really think that, like I said, the, the world out there is struggling. It's seeking, it's desperate for real authentic, uh, communication, real authentic faith. 
and I think we have a God that, that provides that for us. And I think this is just one of the many, many, many outlets that he has enabled for people to find out who he is and what it means to follow him. So share the episodes. Uh, if you want to support the show, again, there is a uh, Patreon account. Uh, look for The Great Stories Podcast on Patreon. And uh, as always, uh, in a couple weeks, I'll be back with another guest and another testimony. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you and good night.